0: Man, it's great to have you guys here. I'm excited about all this stuff that's happening this weekend. Listen, if you do not yet have one of these books, you want to grab one of these on the way out, because this is telling you what we're doing in this good initiative, and this good initiative is about raising the resources that we need to raise in order to be able to reach the people that God has called us to reach, to help them hear the gospel and also to help them heal from the brokenness of their hearts and lives. Listen. We're in the third week of the good initiative right now. And the good initiative is about learning how to do the good, to expect the good in yourself and to others, and to proclaim the good of the gospel to Central Florida and the surrounding areas. And I think God's raised us up in this. You guys are crazy. I got to tell you this. I mean, last weekend, we had our third largest attendance of the entire year in the second week of a giving initiative. Who does that? I mean, you guys are my kind of, yeah. You guys, that's just awful. It's just, uh, that's just awful. Let me just do it. The second, third highest attendance all year long. Wow. Thank you for that spontaneous and authentic demonstration of your excitement. Hey, so we are, we're talking today about a few different scripture passages. We're going to look at three verses, but as we always do, one of the things that we believe is that scripture interprets scripture. And so we're going to look at different passages from the Old Testament. We're going to look at some from Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at Malachi. And let's go ahead and jump into what Paul wants to teach us about generosity. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 starts in verse 6, and we're just going to read through verses 6, 7, and 8. This is what it says, verse 6. Remember this. you will abound in every good work. So I want you to look up here at these uh, passages. We have all of them together here up on the screen. I want you to first look at this passage and the kind of words that uh, God gives to us when it comes to his mindset in terms of generosity towards us. Number one, he wants us to know that he is a generous God, right? And that we're gonna reap something from our generosity or not. And that, that God desires a cheerful giver that he abundantly gives to us all things for the purpose of accomplishing his great and good work. And so I want you to just have that in your heart as you start. We're gonna start with a mindset about money. And I said this a few weeks ago. Um, you don't have money problems unless you have money problems. You don't have money problems unless you have money problems. In other words, if you have a money problem mindset, according to scripture, like you hold on to it too much because you love it too much, or you're afraid to take a step of faith and trust with it, you can't do what God wants you to do with your finances you have money problems. And if you have money problems in here and in here, you're gonna have money problems out here, right? So if you don't have money problems, you don't have money problems. And we're gonna talk about that today because I think Paul gives us some really, really great information. But before we look at that passage that we just looked at, chapter nine, verses six through eight, we're gonna go look at Ecclesiastes chapter five. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, this is Solomon who is writing. Now a little background on Solomon. Solomon is the son of King David. King David was king over Israel in the golden age of Israel. He was God's man. He was God's chosen man to lead the, uh, the nation of Israel. His son inherits the kingdom after him. And most people say that Solomon was, and the scriptures say, that Solomon was the wisest man of his age. Uh, people from all over, uh, queens from Egypt would come, kings from all over the world would come and sit at Solomon's feet. Part of the reason why was because Solomon basically spent a lot of his life uh, experimenting, trying to figure out, like, what are the principles, what are the underlying principles that allow me to make sense of the world in which I belonged. Now, the thing about Solomon is that he was a king, not a president or an elected official. And because he was a king, He had, And because the type of king that he was, not the type of kings we have today, he was an absolute monarch, right? Which means essentially that he had all the power uh, that anybody could ever possess in a kingdom. He had the power of life and death. If the king said you lived, you lived. If he said you died, you died. If he said you had to pay taxes, you had to pay taxes. If he said you didn't, you didn't have to. That's what Solomon's life was like. But consequently, because he was in such an elevated position, he couldn't find direct meaning in life. And one of the things that he comes to in the conclusion of all of his experimentation is that life is meaningless. He's a cheery guy. And so, so at the end of the day, though, there are a few things that he says are good and beautiful things in the world of abstract meaninglessness. And so one of the things has to do with money. He sets the whole stage for this in Ecclesiastes by starting off saying, money used improperly and wrongly is a curse. But he says there are some good and beautiful things about it. Let's take a look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter five, uh, verse 18 says this. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor, that's their work, under the sun, during the few days of life that God has given them. For this is their destiny. This is their lot, right? So this is the lot of all of us. So he said, here's some good things. I want you to see some good things. He mentions food, he mentions drink, and he mentions work. But even in our own society today, we don't generally see these things as blessings. I remember about 25 years ago, there was a guy who came from the, U- the Ukraine, ironically, and, uh, you know, Eastern Eastern Europe. And, uh, and, and he's, he, he came, we were hosting him, and, and uh, we went to a grocery store, And uh, as we walked into the grocery store, I don't remember what it was, like an Albertsons or something like that. It was a nice grocery store. We walked in and all the produce was displayed. And and honestly, when you walk into Whole Foods or you walk into a restaurant uh, or or a a grocery store today, you don't even think about it. You just kind of walk in and you've got a mission. You're gonna get your thing. He walked in and he kind of bowed over like this and he threw up. And I just thought, oh my gosh, you know, the plane ride, the whole thing was terrible. And I kind of leaned down and I was like, are you okay? And he said, basically, he's like, he said, uh, um, I've never seen so much in one place. I've never seen so much. Food. And if you've traveled around the world, you know that to be true, even in industrialized nations. Like we were in France not too long ago, and you walk into a French, you know, grocery store, and there's just not a lot on the shelves. There, there's one choice of this, and one choice of that, and one choice. Of that. But the reality is, like, you know, if you go into a grocery store today, there's 75 different kinds of toothpaste. You know, it's almost overwhelming. You have that Uh, you know, analysis paralysis when you start looking at those things. Why are these better than the others? We have taken for granted some amazing things that in the first century and even before the first century when Ecclesiastes is written that people didn't take for granted. Like even in the Lord's prayer, there's a hint of this. Give us this day our daily bread is the idea that God, I want you to give me something to eat today and I'm gonna trust you for today. I want you to be able to produce for me. We have the ability to not have to worry about that because we can store our stuff. But he says, I want you to realize there are some things that are very important for you. Number one, what you eat. Number two, what you drink. And number three, what you do with your life, your work. These are all supposed to be blessings. You don't have to tell me that that food is a blessing. It is 100% a blessing. Popeye's chicken is anointed by God, okay? I'm just telling you right now, you thought it was Chick-fil-A because they play Christian music. It's a deception. It's totally Popeye's, all right? It is amazing, but for us, we have to ask a question today, and I want, to th- I want us to think through these blessings that God gives to us, and I also want you to see that the posture of the Father is hard towards you is one where he wants to do good to you. I think some of us walk into the room this morning with a mindset that says, no, 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 he's frustrated with me, he's mad at me, he's angry at me, and he wants to do bad things to me, he wants to do harsh things to me. Well, I think that comes a lot from previous learning that we've had and experiences that we've had with other people that we then project on God. And I don't think that's what God's really about here. But take a look at this. This is important. If we're going to live healthy spiritual lives, we have to ask ourselves how we're treating the things that God has given to us as blessings. Like, for example, if food is a blessing, you have to figure out how to make it work for you as a blessing. For some of you, food has been your enemy for a long time because you've never been able to master it. Your weight goes up and down. You struggle with that. And you, you look at food as an enemy. You're like, I hate you. I can't stand you. And therefore, this blessing that God meant to be good in your life turns into something terrible. For me, it's sugar. And I love chocolate cake. (laughs) And sugar is just My grandfather was a type 1 diabetic. And so when I eat sugar, I don't know what it does to my body. Like, everything swells up. And, you know, a few hours later, I feel like somebody just beat me with a bat. It's terrible. I feel so awful. The benefit is not outweighed by the price and the cost of what I have to do. Now that doesn't mean I'm saying to you right now, go on keto, that's the only way to do it. Some of you can eat sugar and that's totally fine, but take the blessing that God has given to you and figure out how to use it right. Like with drinking, he says food and drink. It means alcohol fermented drinks there, okay? So you can go out and you drink, I like red wine. You can drink, but here's the thing. If you take this blessing that God has given to you, right? if you take that blessing and you misuse that blessing, that blessing becomes a curse for you and you become addicted right? So now this thing that was once a blessing that God wanted you to enhance your life, even the Bible says it, a little wine makes the heart glad. What do you think they mean by that? <sighs> okay, but, but, but a lot of that, a lot of that actually makes the heart sad. So we have to take these things that are blessings from God and use them accordingly. Now, some of you with your work, even, you think to yourself, oh my gosh, work is horrible. I hate work. Work's not something that happened after the fall. Adam and Eve, even in the perfect moments of, of, of human creation, were tasked with the process of working. Work is supposed to give back to you. It's supposed to be a blessing to you. But maybe the reason why some of you struggle with the job that you're in right now and you hate it so much is because it's not the job that you're supposed to be in. Maybe it's not the life you're supposed to have. But because all of us kind of grew up similar, I know there are different socioeconomic backgrounds and racial backgrounds, but we're all Americans. We kind of grew up with this mindset of here's what you do. You go to school, you do this, you do this, you do this. You get this job, you make a lot of money, and that's how you're happy. But the reality is that actually doesn't really work that way. I was having a conversation with somebody recently um, who's at our church, and uh, she's this really on track career person. She's fantastic. Um, But I needed her to be able to help me with the counseling center, grow this thing, and move it into the next levels. And her salary is bigger than mine. It's bigger than all the pastors, not combined, but, but it's bigger than, all, but, but bigger than all of our salaries. And I'm like, I just can't pay you what you are. And then she's like, well, this is just my base salary, and then I have bonus over here. And uh, I'm like, we'll never even come close to that, just so you know. But I need you to help me build this counseling center. And she prayed about it, and she talked to her husband about it. We pray, they prayed about it, we prayed about it. And she's like, absolutely, I believe that God's calling me to do this. Why? she's like, it makes absolutely no financial sense for our family, but here's the reality. I believe in the purpose behind the counseling center and helping people, teaching people and helping people heal in Central Florida because it's such a big need. See, sometimes the idea of money doesn't actually mean significance or purpose. Actually, there's a ton of people who have all kinds of stuff that actually feel really, really empty on the inside. But because we're Americans, we have a cause and effect relationship with money. We're gonna see that again in in just a moment. But we have to ask the question, How are we treating the gifts that God has given to us? Up on the screen, how am I using the blessings that God has given to me, right? Am I using them or am I misusing them? Some of you may actually be in jobs right now where uh, you were really, really called to be an artist. You're supposed to create, you're supposed to bring beautiful things into the world, but because you had a moment where you were like, man, I need to provide, and you were trying to be responsible, you got locked into something that you're doing that you feel like you have to do for the rest of your life. That's not true. Others, other people of you, you're supposed to be hel- in a helping profession that doesn't pay a whole lot. I left uh, medical school and heading to being a, uh, being a uh, thoracic or a, a heart surgeon. The idea of, of being a heart surgeon behind to, to, to do this, and certainly the salary is not commensurate with what would have been. but I'm hundred percent happy with what God's called me to do and what's, what's, what's happening here. I will never ever retire. One day I won 't be able to do this in front of you guys but but I'm still going to continue to do what I can behind the scenes to push the mission forward as long as I possibly can. It's a delight to do what I do. I love doing it with the people that I do with, but it's because I'm exactly where God wants me to be in alignment with that. And maybe some of you are just not in that place right now, and you need to give serious consideration. I've had uh, people over the years, guys, um, not five people, not 10 people, not 15 people, but a bunch of people who have had They were super engaged in the church. They were in small groups. They were taking classes. They were serving. They were giving. They were doing all the things that are necessary for you to feel a part of the church. They were doing all those things. And then something happened with one of their jobs. They got an offer somewhere else. And they ended up moving. Why? Because it was $50,000 or $100,000 more. And because we're Americans, we tend to think more money equals more pleasure and wonderful things, which Biggie Smalls told us that's not the case more money, more problems, right? But what ends up happening is, the reality is, as, we, as, as, as time went on, I've heard over and over, this marriage broke up. This happened to them. They were struggling with this. Why? Because they left grace? No, no, no. Because they left the body of Christ. Because when they moved to this new place, they didn't take into consideration, is there a church there that can be my family church? And they missed it. And when they disconnected from the Lord, it disconnected all kinds of other things inside their life. So for us, money can't be the primary thing that drives our happiness or our lives. It just isn't. So I want you to look at with me, if you will, on the screen at verse 19. After that, he says, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. So here's the first thing I want you to see. When God gives someone wealth and possessions, God is the one who has given you what you have. I have a friend, he lives on Lake Malin, And every time I go to his house, he's like, I'm sorry, I know it's a lot, you know? It's a big house on, I mean, just the property alone is worth millions of dollars, you know? And he just, he feels the need, he's a Christian, he feels the need to apologize for it. And I'm like, no, 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 listen. And, and you have some variation of this in your life sometimes, right? Well, like you buy a new car, you're like, eh, it's new, man, should I bought it? like used or, it has a B and a W in it. Uh, should I have done that? Well, God gives someone wealth and possessions. So what you have comes from God. And so sometimes with your money, you just need to relax and enjoy it. You just need to realize that the Father has enabled you to do this, to be able to produce this wealth and these possessions and the ability to enjoy them. We'll come back to this for a second. But there's a second part of this that you need to see. When God gives someone wealth and possessions, he gives it to you. A lot of people will walk around with a super prideful heart, like, I did this all myself. That's insane, guys. I mean, even on a very, very practical level, you did not do it all yourself. You were given opportunities. You live here instead of Rwanda. You were placed in certain places and a specific time in history. You have what you have because all of the right circumstances flowed together to make that happen. And some of you are pushing back on me in your heads right now, and you're going, nah, no. I built what I built because I worked harder and I did more than everyone else. 100% you did. I agree with that. And that's how you get ahead, 100%. Kelly and I have put more 17 to 18 hour days in building this church from zero people to where it is right now. I totally get that. I'm not like unaware, guys. But here's what I am aware of. I'm aware of something even deeper. When God gives someone wealth and possessions, when it says that God gives this to you, it doesn't mean that God just comes and delivers this. Here's a business, or here's some money, or here's this. That's not what he does. What he does is he gives you the right set of circumstances. He gives you the right brain to be able to do what you do. Some of you are accountants. Most people cannot do what you do. First of all, they would die of boredom. Watch this, but you, you're geeking out over it. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Look, I found an error, right? You're like, that's so great. And you're excited about it, because for you, it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle that you get to figure out. And by the way, without you, no businesses work anywhere. It's not a small thing. It's a giant thing. But most people don't do that. They can't, they can't do that. I want you to think about it. You have a brain that God has given to you wired specifically for accounting or for sales. Some people, man, if you ask them to sell, they would just rather die, right? Right? But for you, you're like, oh, no, 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 it's great. I have friends like this. It's great. When someone says no, that's the beginning of yes. And for me, I'm like, no. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'm like, no, no, no. But for you, like, it's amazing. Why? Because God's wired you this way. Others of you, you're like, I'm not like crazy smart, but I grind harder than anybody else. And so when everyone else went home at five, you were there till nine, 10, 11 o'clock, and you just did more and more and more. So yes, God gives you what you have, because God has created you with the capacity to do this. Amen. When God gives someone wealth and possessions, watch this, and what here's what he does. He gives you the ability to enjoy them. Now, uh, Solomon separates these two things from one another. One, God gives you. Two, God gives you. He gives you the ability to be able to enjoy them. You need to know it's not cause and effect when it comes to money. The more you have, the more happy you are. In fact some of the most unhappy and fearful people that I know are people who are wealthy. And the reason for it is they're always afraid of what they're going to you know, lose because of what they have so much. It's almost like there is this scary thing that's out here somewhere you know, that they can't see, so they're anticipating it. They're filled with anxiety, but there's something's gonna happen right now. The market's gonna shift and everything's gonna fall apart, which by the way, it's shifted, right? And you're still okay. You're still okay. Just leave it where it is. It'll come back one day, or we'll all be in bread lines. Just how it, just how it works, right? So, so, so all that to say, when you don't have money problems, you don't have money problems. Jesus is calling someone. <laughs> all right, so, so the lot to be happy with their 12, this is a gift from God. So not only does God give you what you have, he also gives you the ability to enjoy it. The ability to enjoy it. So guys, enjoy it. I mean, he's not saying, I want you to give every dollar to the church or I want you to support every African missionary in the world before you give yourself anything. What he's just saying is enjoy them. I think a lot of Christians just walk around with a mindset like, no, no, I have to feel guilty about this. You don't. To enjoy them, to accept their lot, their fate, and they're happy and their toil because this is a gift of God. You see it? It's God's gift, eating, drinking, working. These are gifts from God. And if they don't feel like gifts from God, it means that you're misusing the gift that God has given to you. And so it just means to be a change. It's not a judgment. It just means I gotta change something. I gotta make a difference in my life. Verse 20 says it like this. I love it. They seldomly reflect on the days of their life. Not that they're not introspective or smart or inward thinking, but they're differently focused. Why? They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. You see, that's the That's the father's desire. Because he's a father and he loves you. I want the best for my kids and so does the father want the best for you, right? He wants you to be filled with gladness, not anxiety, not fear, not concern because when you have money problems, you have money problems, right? We need to change the way we think about money. Some of you, I'm telling you right now as your brother, some of you got to grasp on it because you are, it, it is God to your life and you need to let go of it. He who holds on to his life, she who holds on to her life, the Bible says, we will lose it. But the one who loses their life for me will find everything they need. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you, the Bible says, because they're filled with gladness of heart. I want you to watch this.
1: Music has always been such a huge part of my life. Serving at church is such a great intersection where I love music and I love Jesus, and those two things just really come together so well in that space. The times that I felt closest to the Lord were during times of, of playing worship. I felt like there's just something happening on a different level there. I'm Greg Mikesell and this is my wife, Kristen. Uh, we've been a part of Grace now for a little over a year after uh, being at our previous church for about 25 years. Uh, I helped to serve on the worship team by playing guitar. Kristen is uh, helping out as a coach for children's ministry. And we've also got three children and they're all involved in either serving in children's ministry or in uh, some of the student and young adult ministries as well.
2: It brings me such joy to uh, worship over the weekend together with my family and just to feel like this is a home for us and this is a place where uh, we're really growing and being challenged in our walk with the lord and um, it's become definitely the highlight of the week for our family not too much sauce or else it gets very mushy so don't add more just make it thinner
1: as we're going through the, uh, the Good Initiative uh, materials, we've been spending a lot of time praying. We want to make sure that we're still challenging ourselves and, and making sure that our giving impacts our, our day-in, day-out decisions. So that can mean how much we give on a regular basis. It can mean one-time giving. And that's one of the things I love about the Good Initiative is that it's not so much about the dollar amount. It's not about the percentage. It's really about trying to get everybody involved.
2: When we talk about 100% participation, I'm, I'm really challenging my kids to, you know, with your allowance, let's participate in this. With your paycheck at work as a teenager, this is something that we're called to do as a family. And, and I've seen a joy in their hearts as they've begun to do that as well. I think learning that discipline from an early age has been something that has just become part of them, and um, it's been really neat to see the excitement in their faces, too, that they get to be a part of this.
1: All right, we're doing cheese and then the pepperoni, or pepperoni and then the cheese. That's the big discussion. And from our standpoint, when we were going through the time of of prayer and kind of the Bible study through this, I was actually looking beyond just our, our checkbook. Uh, You know, I want to make sure that we are open to what God is telling us to do with also our our time and even where we live.
2: As I've been praying more, I do feel like the Lord just is calling me to, to have open hands with it all and really just to submit that decision to Him. He owns the house, He owns the kids, He owns everything. And so we want our life with the Lord and with His people to be like, not just a piece of the pie, but the whole pie. And um, I think God calls us to do that in different ways. And right now we're trying to figure out what that exactly means, but it's just not something where we want to show up on Sunday. We want it to be central to our lives.
1: When it comes to our time and our money, we want to make sure that we are investing in the church. Grace is a very healthy, strong church. And what we've even noticed just in being a part of grace for the last year is we get so much more out of serving and giving. And so once we become a part of a community and God has really changed us, then we can proclaim the good to all of Central Florida because we've become a part of this process.
2: I think it is no surprise that the Lord is really using Grace Church to be a beacon of hope and to be a refuge for our community. I'm so excited just to be a part of what God's doing, you know? I mean, He's the one who's orchestrating all of this, and He's revealing to us along the way how we can be a part of all of that. It just brings so much satisfaction, I think, and deep contentment in life, knowing um, that we're making a difference in really important things that are eternal.
0: Isn't that amazing? Uh I love what Greg and Kristen said there. I think there's a lot of truth in what they said, especially when they were talking about the fact that they want to make an eternal impact. We're not just doing stuff for here and now, but the beautiful thing about it is we get to see lives changed right now. But we're also changing lives for eternity, right? We want to see, we've seen people saved and transformed at this church. A lot of people even in this room are people who became Christians here at Grace. And so we're so grateful for that, so grateful for what God's doing. The work is so important. And there are so many people in Central Florida that need the hope that we have in and through Christ. By the way, tonight, right next door, 6 p.m., we have our advanced commitment night. It's not a time where people are giving, but people are gonna give their pledges on their gift card. And so I wanna encourage you to be praying and talking to the Lord about that so that you'll be ready for that. But be there tonight, outdoor concert. You probably saw all the stuff over there. It's pretty amazing. All right, so let's, let's dive in here to what it says in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, now this is Paul talking to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says this, now here's what I want you to know. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Well, Let's talk about this sowing and reaping. What is all that about? Well, remember, this is 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul's writing this, so he's writing to an agrarian society, right? They make all of their money through farming and animals, and that's kind of what they were. And so, Everybody in this day that, that where he's hearing this or he's speaking about this, they would have heard this and it would have made sense. When you sow something into the ground, when you plant something in the ground, you have to wait a certain amount of time. And, I, and during that time, all kinds of things can happen, good or bad, right? But you have to wait a certain time. And in that time, here's what happens eventually. What happens is you come to harvest. And harvest is when you go in and you reap, you take from the ground what it happens. So here's what he's talking about. Let's just say that you sow into the ground one acre of corn right well at the end of the harvest what will you have gotten if everything went really well what is it one acre of corn right that's exactly right so he's saying listen if you sow little if you if you if you give little you're going to gain just little that's how it works right and whoever puts 1000 acres in 1000 acres will happen right this is the same thing that your financial advisor tells you guys like when he says, hey, I want you to put away money for retirement, right? He or she says, I want you to put money away for retirement. I want you to do this month after month for as many years as you possibly can, starting as early as you can. And guess what? Good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen and good things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen. And then at the end, you know what's going to happen? Harvest. You're going to have more than what you put in at the end. And that's just how it works. Same thing here. So Paul, though, is using this analogy to talk about our money and our, our ability to have faith and trust in God. Why? because you know what's hard? You know what's hard? It's kind of easy to plant one acre of corn because we can all just do that. It's kind of easy, no big deal. But to put 1,000 acres in the ground and to not know from the time you put it in the ground to the time that you're going to have harvest what's going to happen, now that's a scary thing. And that's exactly why some of you have money problems here and money problems here. Because you think to yourself, if I give away my money, I won't have as much and if I don't have as much, if something happens, I won't be protected. I won't be watched over. And the mindset is a, is a mindset of fear that basically says, God will only bless me with what he's given me right now. But the truth is, as you walk through your life, God is blessing you and he's blessing you and he's blessing you. And I believe, because I trust for this, and this has been 30-something years of my Christian life, I've seen him show up financially going from $8 an hour to kind of where we are right now, which is like $9 million a year, just just kidding, just kidding, all right, okay. It's not, Jeez, okay. So, so going from you know, having absolutely nothing to having something, what's happened is God has just blessed us and blessed us. And here's why, because what we've done is we've said, whatever you give us, it's yours. So whatever you decide, that's what we're gonna do with it. If you decide tomorrow, we're gonna empty our entire bank account, you do that. That's what's gonna happen, you know why? Because God could just have someone turn right back around and write a check and go, hey, we just heard you empty your bank account, here it is. That's how God is, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, The earth is the Lord's, and the Bible says everything inside of it. Everything is God's. And so we don't have to be sparingly sowing. We can actually sow with faith. And what happens is you reap generously. And I always want to say this because I just need you to know, and somebody told me, make sure you say the whole thing, and here's what it is. Kelly and I give to this church. And some of you go, like, really suspiciously. You're like, oh, yeah, but that's your thing. That's like giving to yourself. We have a fund, Kelly and I that goes directly, all of our money that we get to the church goes directly into our benevolence fund. It funds counseling scholarships for people who need emotional help. People, it goes to provide food for people who can't put food on their table because they hit a snag in their life because they're living paycheck to paycheck. It goes for people who don't have electricity or they're gonna lose their car because they don't have a car payment. Now, there's a whole process through which people go through to get that, but our money 100% goes there. It never comes back to us. And the reason why I tell you that is because I want to be as transparent as possible to say to you, I'm leading from the front, not from behind. I'm not gonna ask you to do something that I and my family are not willing to do as well. Why? Because we've always been generous. I have two spiritual gifts. One is teaching and the other is giving I absolutely adore giving. Kelly and I give to the church. We give to people anonymously within the church when we find out things are going on in someone's life. We give to outside organizations. We just love to give. There is a kind of fullness that comes when you don't have money problems in here and here. You're able to get generous with what you have. And you know what God's done? He's always replenished it, always. He's always given us hope. And when the bank account goes down, you know what he does? He gives us enjoyment and satisfaction with what we have. Solomon once wrote that the more money that you have, the more that you hold on to the love of money, that desire only grows. You'll only want more and more and more, and you will not have to have more and more and more in order to be happy. So some of you, though, don't sow generously because you're afraid of a 1,000 acres. You're like, man, that's so much. It takes up a lot of what I have. It's scary. It puts me in a scary position. So the Bible gives us some great clarity on this in Malachi chapter three, verse 10. Let me give you the context of this. Malachi is a minor prophet and he's speaking to the people of Israel and this is what he's doing. He's talking to the priests and the pastors and he's basically saying this, hey guys, you've been leading the people wrong and not doing the right things and he rebukes them terribly. Because if the priests and the pastors are not doing the right thing, the people won't either, right? And so he then turns the angle to the church and he says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Watch this that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll be no room for, there'll not be enough room to store it. Let's take a look at this. Bring the whole tithe. In other words, don't, you know, don't give a small offering. Give what God tells you to give. We'll talk about that in a minute. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Enough resources for us to do everything that we need to do. So I wanna stop right here for a second. Guys. I just wanna say, well done for 20 years. I mean, since the time we had 50 people in the church, 50 people in the church. Since that day, God has faithfully given to grace what's necessary for us to do what we're doing. God gave us enough money when we had 50 to do what we needed to do with 50. 100, enough to do it with 100. 500, enough to do it with 500. 1,000, enough to do it with 1,000. 4,000, enough to do it with 4,000. He's done that over and over again. So well done and good job. But we bring this up because number one, it's in the scriptures here, it's important for us to remember this. There are I have friends, even in the city who run churches, that constantly have to have conversations about money. And I know that if you're brand new to this church and you came from one of those churches, um, then you might think, well, this is just what churches do. They talk about money all the time, blah, blah, blah. No, no. We haven't talked about money in a series for 72 months. 72 months. So it's not what's happening here, okay? But it's a shame that any church in a country, in our country, it's a shame if a pastor ever has to come and say, please make other things work out. God's house should always be resourced because God's people should always be generous because He's the provider and we're called not just to hold on to what we have. So He says, test me in this. This is crazy, guys. This is the only place in the entire Bible. You know why? Not because God is like, test me and see what I will do. He's like, test me in this because you have no faith. Test me in this. In other parts of the Bible, it actually says, do not test the Lord your God. But only once in regard to money does it say this in the Bible. And see what I'll do. Here's what I'm gonna do. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, sometimes material blessing, sometimes just satisfaction in your heart that there will not be enough room to store it. That God will give you way more than what you need. Verse 11, just bringing it even more clear, just very specific. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. You know, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means basically, if I plant a thousand acres of corn and I live back then and a bug gets in there and takes up 500 acres, I've lost what? 500 acres, that's a lot. And so God's saying, I'm gonna watch over your money. I'm gonna watch over your money and your stuff so that nothing is gonna come from like way over here that you didn't see and just all of a sudden undo you. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, watch this, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit. What happens when a vine drops its fruit before harvest time? It is completely worthless. So he's like, I'll keep those grapes on that vine. I will provide for you, says the Lord Almighty. I think you just need to be able to let that just kind of sit in your heart for a moment. If he did that for them back then, will he not do that for us? 100% so. God provides. One of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. And then look at this un- un- like expected consequence of being faithful. Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means that when you and I are faithful with what God has given to us financially, people take note of that. I've had two conversations uh, within recent like, months with families who came because their first weekend was last year when we revealed our Christmas uh, giving uh, stuff. We set a goal every Christmas, if you haven't been around, for a Christmas offering. We're not doing it this year because we're doing the giving initiative. But when we're not doing giving initiatives, every December we set a goal, say, let's try to hit this number. This will be helpful for us to be able to uh, accomplish what we need for the year, right? We do that. And then every year, Grace just busts through it. Last year, I think we busted through it by $600,000. And what happens? What happens? I come over here and they got the numbers flipping and it's all exciting. It's building thing. People see the number that they know the number. And then they see us blow right past it. And they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. People start clapping and people start cheering. Why? Because here's, here's why. I mean, isn't it weird? Because you're just cheering for yourselves, right? You know that, like, right, right? <laughs> It's a little narcissistic, I'm not gonna lie, okay? No, no, it's really not that way. It's not that way. See, here's what's going on. For many of you, you just said, I'm a thousand acre kind of person and you put a thousand acres and you said, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna trust you, Lord, with that. But you had no idea if anyone else was on your team or no one else was gonna do that either. So when you start seeing that, you know that your gift didn't bring us to that number. You know that a lot of gifts did and it wasn't just one giver. That's exactly what happened. So you rejoice in that. The same thing's true with the nation of Israel. When God did, when the people of God did what they were called to do with their resources, all the other nations around them looked at them and said, why are they so blessed? Why is God's favor upon them? Same thing with our church. It's the reason why other people, and I've got, I've got pastor after pastor in Orlando calling me up going, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Can we talk about some of the stuff that you're doing? Why? Because people are seeing the word of the Lord doing great things at Grace. We see grace growing even during a giving campaign. We see it happening because God is faithful and we've been faithful for 20 years. We've walked with the Lord and God has just poured himself out on us. And that brings praise from all the people around us. So what you are is a part of something that God is building for the sake of the city. Now, I need you to hear these last two verses, which are a kind of protection for your mind, for you. Here it is, verse seven. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Now, listen, here's what he means by that. Each of you should do business with God. Ask God, Father, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I don't want you to go like, you know, all right, I make $200,000 a year, i write this check. I make $25,000 a year, i write this check. Don't do that. Talk to the Lord, pray about it. Get on your knees, have a conversation with him. God, what do you want me to do? And when God gives you a number, it's probably gonna be a number that's a little uncomfortable for you. You go, all right, fine, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna plant a thousand acres of corn. I'm gonna do what I need to do. But look at this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give when you've done business with God. Not reluctantly, not reluctantly. Well, what does that mean? Well, Imagine this, my husband, my husband, my wife, my, my, my wife's like, what? So my husband, my husband, my, my, my wife, gosh, what is happening right now? All right, we're going to have to edit that out. Okay, so, so my wife and her husband, just imagine it's birthday time, right? And, and uh, it's my birthday, and she comes and she goes, here's your present, whatever. You know, I'm telling you right there, the, even the gift, I don't want to open it. Why? Because when something is given reluctantly, it doesn't really count. It doesn't really matter to the person that it's given to. I don't even want to open the present if she did something like that. Why? Because it's just reluctant giving. And the other one is even a stronger version of that. It's under compulsion. And I put in parentheses right there, feeling pressured. There's a difference between feeling convicted and pressured. Being convicted is God's challenge to you to grow into him. Being pressured from the outside by anyone is this thing that feels terrible. It feels like, man, if I don't do this, then I'm just gonna be a loser and it's gonna be all, no, we don't, we don't do that, we don't do that. Give what the Lord tells you to give. And I believe at the end of that, at the end of that, God will provide for us. And here's how the whole thing ends. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly, that's more that you need, so that in all things, at all times, all times, having everything that you need, all that you need, not all that you want all the time, but all that you need, You will abound in every good work. Here's what I believe. I believe that if we come together and we have 100% engagement in this process and you do business with God and God tells you what to do, at the end of that, we'll be able to do what he's called us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, just teachings from, I mean, these are teachings from 2,000 years ago and almost 3,000 years ago. These are things that obviously don't change through time. You've called us in every area of our life to be faithful in our marriages, in our businesses, in our personal relationships, in our friendships, God. You've called us to have integrity and to walk with you. And so Father, it's no different when it comes to our finances. So God, help us to do business with you tonight. I pray that you would speak to us and show us. Let no one give reluctantly, but a cheerful giver you love. Let no one give out of manipulation or any kind of pressure. Father, there's no condemnation. But Father, we want to be able to accomplish everything you want us to accomplish.
1: Speak to us, and we'll listen. It's in your name we pray. Amen.